0: Point is, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, and which is a you know some ma- a massive meeting of Southern Baptists. So you can imagine how fun that is. Um, it's essentially like one giant business meeting for two days, with nothing but sometimes angry Baptists. And you know that's a and there's you know there's no casseroles either. So there's not like a potluck that follows after it. So. Um, you can imagine how fun it often is. So here's my goal for tonight. I don't want to, on one side, get so deep into the woods that it just bores you to tears. I don't want to do that. All right. And then at the other end, I also don't want to leave out so many details that we don't actually talk about some of the significant problems going into the convention and then how some of them were addressed and things that are still left over uh, at the end. And so here's basically an overview of what I want to do tonight. First, I want to take a look at kind of how the SBC actually works because this, I find more often than not, when I sit down with people, this is the biggest misconception in all the world of how the the quote unquote denomination, which is not really a great word for us, how it actually works and the ins and outs. Then inside that, what the convention itself is actually like and what we do and why those things are actually important for what ended up happening at this, this past convention. I want to talk about all the issues that were, well, not all the issues. I narrow it down to really three big ones that I saw coming into the convention, and, um, and how those three things were addressed in the room, uh, and then um, what happens next? What, what's happening on the horizon? What, what is the uh, what's the next few years look like and things like that. And so, um, I want to also open up for you to ask questions if you have them and things like that. Cause I know some of you were probably very concerned, rightfully so going into the convention. Um, particularly if you're new to Baptist life, Southern Baptist life, there was probably even more concern. So, um, let's dive into first, uh, how it works. Um, First of all, you have to understand Southern Baptist Convention, the people that were in the room that are voting in the room, the messengers that are there are representative of churches that are of like faith and order. So there are certain things that they are required to believe, to ascribe to, in order to even be considered officially Southern Baptist churches. Now, like it or not, any church can call themselves a Southern Baptist church. right, name isn't trademarked. You could put Southern Baptist Church on the sign and you could not be one lick of in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention at all. And that would be perfectly fine. There's nothing that would be done to you, all right? But the people that actually go in, line up, get an actual ballot to vote have to be messengers sent from church bodies that are in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I wanna define what that means a little bit The Southern Baptist Convention technically exists for just two days. It's gone already. It's not a thing anymore. Poof! Into the atmosphere. It's not a thing anymore, the Southern Baptist Convention. Legally, the Southern Baptist Convention exists for two days out of the year. All right? How many knew that already? Even an ish. Even if you kind of ish knew that, you may not have like jumped out there and bet that. I see a couple people online have their hands up, good, and a couple people in here. Yeah, so it doesn't exist anymore, right? It's It's gone. Until next year. It will convene again. The Southern Baptist Convention is literally a meeting that happens two days out of the year. That is what the Southern Baptist Convention is. Now, Southern Baptist churches come together and convene there for the purpose of directing money. That is why we go. We go because there is, what we decided was, I'm a Baptist church out here, you're a Baptist church out there, you're a Baptist church over there, and what we should do, if we really want to send missionaries over to Abu Dhabi, then we should come together, we should pool our money together, and we could probably fund a missionary to go to Abu Dhabi. That's basically how it starts, right? And so, 363 days out of the year, we are completely autonomous from one another. Really, 365 days out of the year, we're completely autonomous from one another. You can't tell me what to do. I can't tell you what to do. But those two days out of the year, we come together and we agree on certain principles so that we can take that money and we can direct it where we want it to go. Understood? Does that make sense? That's it. That is what a Southern Baptist church is. So we, are, we have convened two days out of the year uh, to send money. And that fund that we put money into is called the cooperative program. We send it from our church to the cooperative program un- undesignated. We say, do with it what you will. Now you think to yourself, why wouldn't you say you want it to go to a certain place? That's what the Southern Baptist convention is for. We come together to say, these are the budgets that we approve for the IMB, for the North American Mission Board, for all the entities we've set up to shepherd and steward that money. But it's all about that collective fund that we have put together. And it's for the purpose, It's especially is how it started, but it is for the purpose of training and equipping uh, ministers of the gospel to go and either preach or to share the gospel and start churches overseas, right? That's it. Okay. Now, because we have this fund, we have conceived of many things to do with that money. All right. So over the different things that we have decided to do, as an example, one is we want to send missionaries overseas. That's one thing we want to do with it. All right. Another thing we want to do with it is we want to establish seminaries inside the United States. And we also want to plant churches inside the United States. All right? those sound like good things. All right, so we established the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, and six seminaries. And over them, we put heads, presidents of those organizations. And their purpose is directing the funds of the cooperative program and so there's a total of 11 ministry entities with one auxiliary called the women's missionary union you is anybody in here remember women's auxiliary when it was back when it was called women's auxiliary the reason it's called auxiliary do you know where it was called auxiliary because they don't receive funding from the cooperative program they're still referred to as an auxiliary program so uh anyway so there's 11 uh entities that we Listen to their report, what's happened the last year, what their plan is for the future, what their budget is, and all those kinds of things, and we direct those funds. Now, aside from the WMU, all the other entities are fully funded by the cooperative program. Now, you could go and you could give directly to Southern Seminary. You could just make a donation to Southern Seminary if you wanted to, or to the IMB for that matter, but their full funding that they're budgeting comes directly from the churches, we send in an undesignated gift. It gets allocated according to the budget that we have approved, and that money goes to the various entities and organizations that we have set up and we have purposely set up, the churches have set up within the structure. That makes sense so far, right? Now, because of this, understand because of this, the entities, the heads of these programs, are not directing the churches. You understand that? That makes sense? Southern Seminary, the IMB, North American Mission Board, the different entities that we set up, they're not directing the churches. You understand? The churches are directing the entities. Does that make sense? Right? In a denomination, a normal denomination, Presbyterian, Catholic, name it. All right. I don't know if you could call it Catholic a denomination, but you get the idea. In those structures, those religious structures, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever, they're top-down. The top has set up the denomination, has allowed you as a church to exist, gives you money, pays for your building, whatever they do, and then they direct, they may even supply your pastor, they may do whatever they do, right? They they are in control of you, right? That's not the way the Southern Baptist Convention works. You don't have any say over me. We put money in a fund and you're there because we paid your salary is essentially the way it works. It's bottom up, okay? So it's important to understand that, first of all. Otherwise, you'll be totally lost on what the SBC actually is and how it functions, okay? But that's essentially what's happening at this two-day convention, all the SBC-affiliated churches. That's why we say we are in full cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Does that make sense? We're not a Southern Baptist church. We are in full cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. They technically mean the same thing, but you get the idea. There's a distinction there. Okay, now, of these entities, there is one entity that acts that's a little bit different than the rest of them it's called the executive committee and it acts ad interim for the messengers which is us the the churches and the members of the churches that were there the executive committee at the end of the convention is essentially handed the baton and say now everything that we just told y'all to do you go do on our behalf So they're like the ants, essentially, that sort of work out what the convention of churches has determined the money should be spent for, the actions that should be taken, et cetera. Tracking with me so far? Everybody? All right. Okay, good deal. So you've got the executive committee. That's what their job is to do, is act ad interim or for us, um, you know, between the end of the convention and the beginning of the next one, okay? Now... The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the ERLC. Go ahead, Jackson. You got a question already? Sure. Sure. Yeah, the, the, there is a. this is a kind of a separate issue, a little bit. Uh, the executive committee, I would say, is in full awareness they answer to the churches. And that was made evident at the convention, and I'll explain that in a minute. But um, um, so the way the executive committee comes about, let me touch on that at the end, if I can, just to make sure we have time. Because if, if we don't, I really want to get to this stuff here, and if, if I can, I'll answer it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I get, I get it. So, um, the Ethics and Religious Liberty uh, Commission. Again, you're going to see this in these, these definitions that I've got up here. They're copied straight from the, the website, it's the SBC website. You can see all of these definitions up there. So, and you can download this keynote online, so you don't have to worry about writing down every note if the, if you if you're thinking you have to do that. But you'll see in the definition of every entity, uh, it exists to assist the churches, right? The churches have appointed them, have funded them, and their job is to assist us in some way. The ERLC has really kind of, it's sort of a multifaceted uh, approach. One, they are ethicists. So their job is really to think about the moral and ethical things that are going on in society at the moment and educate the churches on how to deal with those or how even to think about it. How do you think about, what do you think about transgenderism and uh, homosexuality is so-called same-sex marriage or this, that, and the other? Well, that's part of what the ERLC does. Another part of what the ERLC does is kind of speaks for Southern Baptists to people in positions of authority. So a lot of times that's with government entities. So the White House, let's say, is going to draft or they're going to propose some legislation that they're going to send to Congress. Then before they draft that legislation, perhaps they want to consider what Southern Baptists would actually think about this, because there are a significant there's a significant number of them in the country, and so they would contact the ERLC and the ERLC would communicate with the White House. Okay. That, that would be one way in which they function. OK. Um, we've got am I, there we go uh guidestone financial which is a really uh, enticing one they craft uh health care and things like that for churches to participate in so uh your staff can have health insurance through guidestone can have annuities and all these kinds of other things that's not the most important one we're going to go past it all right unless there's significant questions on it um the international mission board uh exists to serve the churches by training up uh sending out missionaries overseas and placing them in areas perhaps of high risk or anywhere uh, around the world and uh, both supply their training but also um, supply their health care for one or their uh, be our kind of like HR department in that sense of how do we train up higher missionaries and m- make sure you know any ones that are not effective or taken off the field or whatever um So the IMB exists as that, but they're sending out missionaries uh, outside of North America, basically, to anyone that doesn't know the gospel where Christ has not been named, essentially, is what their goal is. All right. Now, to date, there are uh, 3,636 IMB personnel. That's as of uh, May 31st, and we sent another 36, I believe, at the convention itself. So, that, that number is actually uh, 3,672, I guess. Um, so, as of the convention. So, those are total IMB personnel that are out on the field. Some of them, now, every missionary that we send out, the difference in IMB missionary versus a, a missionary sent by another agency is the missionaries sent by the IMB are fully funded by the cooperative program. They, their entire salary is paid for, they never have to raise a dollar. Um, that's part of the purpose of the cooperative program. is – it's originally why it was started. Um, all right. We have Lifeway. You've heard of Lifeway? Ah, it's a, all right. Supplies resources and things like that for churches. Um, North American Mission Board is a church planting agency within. The, so think of like IMB, but for North America. That's a, at least what it's intended to be, is a church planting agency that's de- designed to evangelize North America. Um, I think I missed one. Did I miss one? No? Okay. Uh, we have six seminaries. Gateway Seminary in Los Angeles. It's got several different campuses, but one of which is Los Angeles. Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. New Orleans Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana. Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Southern Seminary in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, who stole Blake from us. Um, essentially, the college connected to Southwestern stole Blake. Uh, but the, these six seminaries are another thing that are fully funded by the cooperative program. Uh, entity heads, presidents of these seminaries are placed over each one, and student the students are obviously not fully funded, but the seminary itself is by cooperative program and by tuition. All right, now, at the convention, so you've got these entities, you've got the denomination set up this way, or the quote-unquote, I'm just going to call it a domination because I don't have a better word, but You've got this, the entities coming forward to bring their reports and to basically, out, we're going to allocate money uh, toward the budget. And in the process, we're also going to make some statements. We're also going to say some things. This is what we as churches feel about this. One way we can make those statements is called a resolution. All right. So basically, everything in the convention is either these reports and voting on cooperative spending dollars or. Resolutions and motions. And now I think, I know you're going to think, well, why are we talking about resolutions and motions? Because they're going to come in handy in just a minute when we get to down to the nitty gritty. Okay. So for now, for now, uh, we have resolutions, which are merely expressions of or or opinions. They're just opinions. That's all they are. They're not binding. They don't require something of you, uh, church to go home and do. If we made a resolution that said everyone should paint their mailboxes blue, we could do that. And if it was in a majority, the Southern Baptist Convention of Churches says everyone should paint their mailboxes blue. But when we get home, we are under no obligation to go out there in front of our office and paint our mailbox blue. All right? It is merely a statement of opinion of the churches that convened at that day and at that time. Does that make sense? You understand that? That's all it is. So it's just an expression of opinion. You cannot use a resolution to direct an entity to do something. You can't say, we resolve that Southern Seminary should fire Al Mohler, all right, or something crazy like that. You can't do it. That's not what a resolution is for. It's not used to direct an entity. It's not used, uh, or it is submitted by individuals. So I could go up and I I could submit a resolution. And I could stand at the microphone and I could, whatever, I could make a resolution. Or I could send the resolution many days before and it could all be sent into the convention. They could sift through it all. I could propose a resolution if I wanted to. So it's individuals from churches. Go ahead, Shannon. Um, <laughs> many would ask that question. <laughs> uh, what is the point of coming together and making a resolution? Well, part of it is... is <laughs> Part of it is a good temperature check on where the churches are at any given moment. So here's an example. The second resolution that the Southern Baptist Convention ever made was in reference to black people. And it was not positive at all. We have had resolutions on that we were, we were at one time a pro-abortion denomination. You know that? Well, at one point, when Roe v. Wade was passed in the 70s, we have plenty of resolutions that affirm abortion. And a resolution is just Right. But you can go back through the history of the SBC and you can see the movement and the theological persuasion that was on the Southern Baptist churches at the time. And so that's part of the purposes of resolutions is kind of like a record of what happened we keep minutes here in our member meetings so we we have minutes that we approve the next business meeting and some of it's like um you know jeff bell stood up and said i just want to encourage everybody to go share the gospel he sat down and that's a that's one of the things in the minutes. now what is the purpose of including that in the minute well it's so that we have a record of what happened at the meeting right to some extent, that's what a resolution is. It's a record, but it's a record of what, where the Southern Baptist churches are at that time. What's, what are the big concerning mo- uh, things? How was the denomination persuaded? What, what ended up changing their mind? Things like that. It's, it's important in that sense. So it gives us a little bit of a temperature check, but they also cause a lot of fights. A lot of fights. <laughs> yes. So the resol- yeah so the resolutions are are submitted typically they're submitted uh, I think it's 45 days prior up to 45 days prior then they're sifted through and then th- there's a crop of resolutions that are going to be thrown out because they're either they try to direct an entity or they try to do something that they're not supposed to do and so they throw them out or there's 15 that are the exact same and so they either find a way to combine them all or you know whatever to kind of limit it down so you get probably about 15 resolutions or so And then they say, here's resolution number one. Does anybody want to speak in favor of the resolution? And somebody's up at the microphone. I'm so-and-so from Kansas City, Missouri, and I want to speak in favor of this resolution. We need to pass it because we are pro-life and da 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 All right? Then you got somebody over there at microphone number two. They stand up and say, I want to speak against this because, yes, we are pro-life, but at the same time, this does not do this and this and this and this and this, and we need to do that. Or somebody could say, I want to add a line to this resolution, and then I'll vote for it. And I would add that it says this. So, yes, it's a lot of arguing over that, over a statement. And some people are really precise with their words, and other people are not very precise with their words, and it can be very frustrating in the process. So, um, yes, they are voted on at the convention, so then once they get the resolution, the way everybody's happy with it, all right, 15,000 Baptists are happy with this resolution, we then say, Uh, All in favor, raise your ballots. And people raise their ballots whether they're in favor. And then all opposed, and they raise their ballots if they're opposed. And the ayes or the nays have it. All right? So sometimes the resolution fails. Sometimes it passes. Many times it passes. This convention was attended by 15,000 and some change. 15,300 and something. Yes. Yes. Well. Sometimes, some, if you're voting on, a, on an entity head or you're voting on a, on a person of, you know, that's go, that you're putting in a position of authority, so to speak, then there might be an actual ballot you tear out. There is a pack of ballots that you tear out, and you mark one, and you pass it to the end of the aisle, and then they, somebody back there behind the scenes counts them all, and then they present the totals later on in the convention. All right? Or if it's just like up or down vote, you can kind of see across the sea of you know, ballots. If it's in favor, a lot of them are major- way majority positive or negative, and you can pretty clearly see. Um, all right, but if it does require a count, they'll, they'll count them individual ballots. All right, if they are approved, remember, they just express an opinion or a concern at the moment, and they're not an opinion or a concern from every Southern Baptist Church out there. Only the ones that are at the convention, all right? Only the messengers who are at the convention, okay? Let's say you get a really heinous one. Like, I am not bound to pro-slavery resolutions that were made back in the day, all right? Because, one, I wasn't there. Two, I don't agree with it. Our church doesn't agree with it, right? And for the most part, the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention that are now don't agree with it, all right? So, you know, it's um, they're, they're moot at this point, right? They're not binding. Okay, now, so that's resolutions. But there's another big thing called motions. We do this in our member meetings, all right? So if you have been in our member meetings, you have been somewhat trained for the Southern Baptist Convention. You could go and you could you could speak the language, all right, already. Because there are motions, and these actually have teeth behind them. They require an action. So if you make a motion that we paint the mailboxes blue... Okay, well, now that's a different animal altogether than a resolution that we should paint mailboxes blue, all right? So if you make the motion that we paint mailboxes blue and it is approved, then we have to do that, all right? Now, that particular motion would be ruled out of order because they can't do that, okay? But if they could, that's what they would do. If you made a motion that uh, Southern Seminary should remove all of its students and only accept females from here on out, And it approved, well, then that would be the bylaws of Southern Baptist Seminary, or Southern Seminary, okay? Um, So they are used to direct an entity. They're used to change bylaws, create new entities altogether. That's how Southern Seminary, that's how Southwestern Seminary, that's how all the seminaries came about. That's how the IMB came about. That's how the North American Mission Board came about, was through motions at the convention. So the entire structure can change through motions. Got me? All right. Tracking with me so far. All right. These are also submitted by individuals from qualified churches, and they are uh, then presented to the Committee on the Order of Business. Resolutions go to a resolutions committee. The motions go to the Committee on the Order of Business, and they determine whether these motions are in contradiction to our bylaws, in contradiction to other things. Um, so if you said, it sh- the ERLC needs, this has happened before, ERLC needs to fire Russell Moore. All right. We can't, by motion, based on our bylaws and the bylaws of the ERLC, fire an entity head. We have to first make a motion to change the bylaws of the entity. That needs to be approved. Then we can do that. Does that make sense? Got it? This is all going to come back in just a minute. So just. So they have, each entity has a board of trustees, and that board of trustees is put in place by a committee on committees. That committee on committees is put in place by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes. All right. So uh, anyway, that's how, that's how those committees are put in place, and then they're removed in the same way. So does anybody remember something called the conservative resurgence? Anybody ever heard this term. Okay. This is a Southern Baptist thing. This is what happened back when in the 70s when we were a pro-choice denomination uh, and it was everything was swinging toward the liberal end. The way the conservative resurgence happened was appointing presidents. There was enough conservative churches that came to the Southern Baptist Convention to put presidents in place, Adrian Rogers, several of the ones you've heard of. I guarantee you, Paige Patterson, several of those and put them in place as presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. They appointed a committee, the committee on committees that were people that were also from conservative churches, who then appointed trustees in each of the entities, who then appointed presidents of those seminaries and of those organizations, who then were eventually leading it into a conservative direction. That's how Al Muller was president of Southern Seminary when he was 33 years old. Okay. So you get it? There's a lot that can change here about the entire structure. And all of this, mind you, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but all of it is to do what? To direct cooperative program dollars. The reason why this is important is because there are millions upon millions of dollars at stake. And there are missionaries that are being sent all over the world who are supported by these structures. And, If these structures go that way, when they should be going that way, that is bad news for cooperative program, for mission dollars, for everything, right? Make sense so far? Okay. Um, So they're submitted by, uh, and then they're determined whether they're in order by the order of business and parliamentarians, and then they're voted on at the convention, and if approved, they require action. Here's why all of that's important, because we had several issues coming into the convention. I'm going to go through this a little bit quickly, okay, because we've been beaten by the issues for a long time. And so here, here we go. Uh, one, one massive issue was, I, I didn't know how to exactly title this, but this was essentially it. Uh, the accusation that the executive committee and others had marginalized victims of abuse, particularly victims of pastors of Southern Baptist churches. Well, maybe not pastors, but at least members of Southern Baptist churches. So there were people who who came forward and accused um, Southern Baptist pastors, uh, workers in children's programs and things like that of abuse. And as their story grew and got some notoriety, the accusation was that the executive committee, quote unquote, working on behalf of the churches, marginalized these abuse victims, silenced them, and didn't want their story publicized. Fair? Basically how how it shook out. Now, so here's how all the... What's that? I'll come back to him in a minute, but... um, Come on. There we go. That's Ronnie Floyd. He is the president and CEO of the executive committee. Okay? So he's kind of the chief executive of the ones that are working on the behalf of the churches. They should be, okay? All right, so a couple of things that were at issue here with the abuse. 2019, February 10th, 2019, the Houston Chronicle published an expose. You can read it. Uh, on, it's online still. And 20, they looked at 20-year history of Southern Baptist churches, so a, a small window, but still 20 years. They found 700 victims of sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches. They're in children's buildings, basically, in children's programs that were abused in one way or another, either by pastors, by deacons, by workers in, in nurseries, things like this, okay? Um, the Chronicle actually uh, was pretty excoriating uh, in terms of how it uh, addressed Southern Baptist churches, and, and probably rightfully so. Uh, and it, it, there was it magnified a lot of neglect that Southern Baptist churches have had over children's policies, childcare policies, and things like that in children's buildings and things. Um, and it was, you know, it was a big deal and just pull back the curtain just a little bit before I came here. The church that I came from was on the list, right? was one that was being accused. Now, gratefully, there was nothing that was found out that they had actually done or hidden from or anything like that. But one of the reasons why, when I came here, the first thing that I did was install children's buildings policies, which were not all well-received, I get that. But part of the reason that I did that to put two people in each room was to at least attempt to safeguard this from happening here, right? Because what was coming out in the Houston Chronicle, and it was only months after I did that that the Houston Chronicle report was released. After doing that, this, this uh, the Chronicle came out. It's small churches that this is going on in. This is not massive churches. These are small churches and people that are like, I, why would he do that? I didn't think he would do that, you know, because who knows? Um, so anyway, the executive committee was, was basically, it was alleged that they had done this. Well, J.D. Greer, who was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at the time, in 2019, it was only days after this article came out, he was presenting before the executive committee... And he read off all the names of the churches inside the report. Now, remember, these are just allegations. These aren't formal accusations or they're not on trial. Many of them were not not on trial at the time. J.D. Greer read all the names, which just inside baseball really ticked a lot of people off (laughs) that he did that. Because they're not formally accused. They're not on trial or anything like that. Some of them were false allegations maybe or whatever. And he read the names and it makes their church look awful, but you know, they did this. So he did that. So that picked a lot of people off. All right. Second, second part of this. On October 4th, 2019, the ERLC led by then president Russell Moore held a conference called the Caring Well Conference. And they produced a Caring Well document. How do churches, this is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Remember, they help churches think through issues like this. And how do you change things? Well, the ERLC basically produced this Caring well document after this CaringWell conference, and they brought churches together to discuss how we prevent abuse inside of our churches. And let's just take the voices of the people that are claiming abuse, and let's just hear what they have to say. Let's hear them out. And one lady, Rachel Hollander, who was an Olympic gymnast, and she was assaulted by Larry Nassar. Remember Larry Nassar, that whole big thing with the Olympic gymnastics thing? Um, and she was, but before she was assaulted by him, she was assaulted in a in a church, and so she came forward to just give her testimony. And she spoke on, um, on some of these issues. And she said this line: The SBC has over and over again trampled on these precious abuse survivors, and that is why they are afraid to speak up. All right. So that's the accusation. Well, that also made a lot of people upset. All right. I'm just setting up the storyline, okay? That's all I'm trying to do. All right. I do not know what church she was, she was a part of. I'm sorry, I really, really don't. Um, okay, the other part of this is sometime after the, after the Greer announcement and sometime after the Caring Well conference, there were meetings that were had by the executive committee and uh, and the, the uh, all the people in the executive committee and the ERLC, particularly Russell Moore and J.D. Greer. And there were a lot of recordings that were taken from those meetings. This is all issues coming in, all right? This is all a couple weeks prior to the convention we're hearing all this, okay? For like the first time, all right? So um, the, then Russell Moore resigned two, like two weeks prior to the convention. And when he did, he... Somebody leaked two letters that he wrote. One was to his trustees and one was to J.D. Greer. And those letters detailed all these meetings and, and the blowback he received from the Caring Well Conference. Once Rachel Hollander said that, there's a recorded meeting of Ronnie Floyd, a CEO of the, of, the, um, of the executive committee, saying, you know, we helped fund the Caring Well Conference and then they're bashing Southern Baptists at the Caring Well Conference. So when he's accusing the executive committee of sweeping abuse under the rug, and then you have a recording of Ronnie Floyd going, why are we listening to these people <laughs> who, are, who are bashing Southern Baptists? Well, it, it kind of proved Russell Moore's point, right? And so there was a lot of churches coming into the convention really upset about this. Let's leave that there. Okay, we'll come back to it in just a second. Second big issue was critical race theory. Anybody ever heard of critical race theory? a lot of people have heard it very Good. Um, All right. CRT, basically just a very brief summary because it says a lot of things, holds that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African Americans. Now, critical theories in general purport that all authorities are inherently racist oppressive that everything in your life is all about power structures that's essentially what critical theories promote right the idea okay so crt power structures or critical uh, critical theories power structures are inherently oppressive critical race theory the power structure that is present in racial inequality in our society is whites versus non-whites whites are in power therefore they are the oppressive race right Tracking with me? Okay. It's brief. It's two bullet points. Okay. So don't hold too too close to it. But that's essentially it. So that's critical race theory. Now, why was that an issue? Because at Birmingham in 2019, a resolution, was a resolution? Merely an opinion. It was expressed, right? An opinion or concern. A resolution was passed that called CRT or critical race theory an analytical tool. Now tell me, when when you hear the term analytical tool, Don't connect it to critical race theory, just analytical tool. Do you think positive or negative? I think most people would say it's a positive term, right? Well, I think most people in the convention felt like that was a positive assessment too. It's an analytical tool. Well, then it's speaking positively, they would say, about CRT. The crazy thing about resolution number nine, if you want to go look it up, you can see all the resolutions that have ever been passed in the SBC. Resolution number nine of 2019 in Birmingham, uh, critical race theory, it was overall rejected. Overall, the resolution said, "But we would, we would not use anything that's not, you know, adhering to the gospel and and that's antithetical to the gospel, uh, as this is." And but it called it an analytical tool, and people didn't like that, right? So. Um, It seemed like it was cast in a positive light. Okay, so um, lots of books came out, were written. Uh, There's a book by Bodie Bachum called Fault Lines that sort of addresses the very beginning lots of people who seem to speak positively about CRT, some of those within Southern Baptist life. Um, And then there's a book by uh, Owen and called uh, Christianity and Wokeness, um, which a lot of the woke culture that you're seeing in the news and things like that some of it will stem from uh crt and so the seminary presidents came together and they crafted a joint statement where they basically just said critical race theory is antithetical to the gospel right it's not something we promote here or anything like that okay nevertheless that was a big issue coming in okay all right the last thing that was a big issue was the sbc presidential election i'm going to blaze through this real quick um, there were four candidates for president, Randy Adams, Al Mohler, Mike Stone, and Ed The reason why it's important that we know who these people are is because to some extent, and you could feel this on the floor of the convention more so than you experience it probably online or read about it, each one of these individuals kind of represents a particular issue going on in the convention at the time. So Mike Stone, uh, there's no question about this, yeah, I'm gonna make an, a broad stroke assessment here but there's no question about it Mike Stone was the representative for the stop CRT movement CRT was a motion was a was resolution number nine people have felt like there's a leftward drift happening in the SBC and so Mike Stone was the president uh, presidential candidate that was designed to kind of stop CRT right there were people literally with stickers that said stop CRT on their shoulders on their ballots everywhere okay you saw this everywhere and they all voted. I watched them. They all voted for Mike Stone. Okay. So just know that that's what he represented. Um, Randy Adams was the funds guy, right? We're coming to direct funds, right? And he's saying there is so much waste, abuse, and bloat inside the SBC. Did you know how Mueller spent X number of thousand dollars on a desk chair? Whatever it was, I, it, that wasn't it, but something like that. And was handing out people representing Randy Adams were handing out newspapers that said SBC News on the front, and you pick it up thinking it's SBC News, and you read it, and it's a gossip rag, a slander rag about all the other presidents and how they've all wasted money, all the other presidential candidates and entity heads and how they're wasting money. Uh, Al Moeller was a, this is complicated, Uh, this abuse issue is very complicated, and we don't know if CRT is an issue or not, but we know that Al Mohler is one of the best, brightest thinkers that we have in the convention, and we want to put him as president so that we can direct this convention the way it needs to go. And Ed Litton was somewhere short of Al Mohler. He was sort of a kind of a people's people. He's a pastor. All right. But he kind of represented a very similar, similar bent in the room. All right. Now, the room where it happened. Uh, so as it pertained to abuse-related motions, this is huge, and I'm sorry we're, you know, I, I want to be able to get all this in, but um, the, the first thing that happens is, so the, the convention is Tuesday and Wednesday. On Monday, there is a session with just the executive committee and press. Press are invited in there, and the people that know where the meeting is can also go in there and attend, any messenger that was there. Yours truly happened to be there, and so I was made, made sure I was at that meeting. And um, very small room. Everybody's packed in shoulder to shoulder. And there was even a headline that came out, and I'm sure you can probably find it. I couldn't find it, but uh, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. It was like, S- uh, SBC Executive Committee rejects motion on abuse and all this kind of stuff. And I'm in the picture. And I'm like, come on, seriously? But anyway, <laughs> so anyway, um, so we we go into this, this meeting, and at the meeting, there is um, – Prior to the convention, the executive committee had hired a a firm called uh, called uh, I have it here Global Solutions, and Global Solutions, their basically uh, mo is to help companies and organizations move past abuse scandals. All right, companies and individuals move past abuse scandals. The executive committee hired them. They've also been hired by everybody under the sun, Harvey Weinstein the list goes on. Right. So the executive committee hired this organization to in- do an investigation. Hold on one second, Timothy. Let me get through this first. Um, hired this company to uh, have basically have an investigation. And literally this is on their website. Their goal is to help you uh, seize opportunities on the horizon, minimize disruption, or move on from difficulty. All right. So this is who uh, they have contracted to help them through this difficult matter of abuse. Now, do you see a problem with this? The executive committee was the one that was accused. The executive committee is the one that hired the investigator. The executive committee is the one that is going to control the investigation. You see the problem with this? Do you? Yeah. The fox is guarding the hen house, right? Well, nobody wanted that. Well, there are people that want that. But anyway, most people did not want that. Um, so a guy named Jared Wellman, who is on the executive committee, only executive committee members can make motions in this meeting. Okay. So Z- Jared Wellman gets up and he has a motion in his hand. The agenda is on the table. Remember how we do member meetings. You approve an agenda, then you can add things to the agenda if you want to, but, uh, it has to be approved by the, by the consensus of the, of the people. So Jared Wellman has, well, has a motion in his hand that would remove the executive committee from authority over, over solutions at all and that Guidepost Solutions would answer to, or any other organization for that matter, would answer to the members of the churches, the messengers, rather than the executive committee. Sounds reasonable. And would specifically answer to a task force appointed by the president. All right? Okay. That would remove the executive committee from the thing. This was a motion to put this motion on the agenda. You get it? Motion to motion. Okay. The motion to put it on the agenda... Failed, which means they didn't even want to discuss it. That was Monday. After that, lots of people were angry about Monday. It went all over the Houston Chronicle. Everybody, Southern Baptists don't even want to talk about this. Okay. Then at the convention, there was a motion presented by Grant Gaines, Steve Gaines' is son. Steve Gaines is a former president. He's a pastor of Bel Air Baptist in Murfrees- Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He got up and presented a motion that essentially did the exact same thing, said that within 30 days of the convention, the newly elected president, in this case, Ed Litton, spoiler alert, would appoint a task force to oversee all investigations into the executive committee and any other entity in Southern Baptist life that ever covered over abuse and tell us everything that happened. All right. And that would be reported to us at some later date, probably at the convention next year. Okay, Now. When that happened, um, I can't remember what what if I've already said this oh yeah um, so it failed at the executive committee meeting on Monday. this was what was stated let me go back sorry this is what was stated by one of the lawyers at the executive committee meeting when this motion to put this motion on the agenda came up he said no one in the SBC is in any way in favor of any sort of child abuse or anything like that but to create or to hire a third-party professional investigatory organization who does this for profit and give them essentially unlimited power to interview anyone in the SBC is just a horrific thing now you see a problem with this the executive committee supposed supposedly hired this investigatory body and he's saying, "Well, that would be a horrific thing if Jared Wellman's motion passed, and we hired an investigatory." So apparently, what the executive committee hired was not an investigatory body. Right. You see that? Okay. So point being, this stunk. All right. So Gaines's motion goes up in the convention, and the committee on the order of business took the motion and said, "We're going to send that motion to the executive committee to determine what to do with after the convention's over." Ha <laughs> ha, yes, you're, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to take the motion that, of Grant Gaines and we're going to send it to the executive committee and they can determine what they want to do with it. The fox is now backguarding the hen house. Good thing we have the convention functioning with the rules that it does because then there's a motion to overturn that decision by the committee on the order of business. It has to pass by a two third majority and it passed by like a three thirds majority. Everyone, 15,000 Baptists in the room, all agreed. This is coming back out to the floor and we're voting on this. That's not how this is going to work. All right? So the motion came back out, overruled the Committee on the Order of Business. The motion was then voted on whether you want to actually do this thing. And literally 15,000 Baptists all raised their ballots in in, in the affirmative. So essentially the motion to investigate everything within Southern Baptist life and determine where were their abuse allegations covered up or where were their people swept under the rug or not heard or things that we don't know. Anything we don't know, we want to bring it to light. If there were any, and, and even in the motion, it's stated, look, we can't force you as an individual to overturn your attorney-client privilege. But if there is anything that you know and your attorney knows, that you're trying to keep between yourself, we would see it as in good faith if you would basically undo your attorney-client privilege and let everything come out into the open. And so we can't technically force them to do that. But that's one thing that happened. That was probably the most proud I've ever been to be a Southern Baptist was right then and there, was when that happened. Because I think that's a huge step forward. And it's one of those examples where motions actually have teeth to them. And you can correct large errors uh in in that so it just takes patience right that's the point is there's a lot of people that as soon as problems like this come out they're like let's get out of the spc or let's do do away with those i get that right i get the sentiment but if you just be patient you have to remember there's 3600 missionaries overseas there's millions of dollars and what can happen is if all the conservative all the good moral people that really want to see change happen and good things come if they all leave then the fox who was you know, spoiling the vineyard, basically, is now overseeing millions of dollars and 3,600 missionaries. That's the last thing you want, right? So that's one big thing that happened. Let me... Bob over here and now he says sexual assault, are rape. And then I'm you know, I would be with an Allen the And okay. so that's yeah. my representative. Yeah. Um st- so um state boards, state uh conventions have a role in appointing executive committee members to the um to the spots. Um presidents of the SPC though point uh, committee on committees who then begin to appoint people inside the state conventions. So the the executive committee, yes, they are they do have representatives that were appointed by state conventions. That's true. But the long game is stick with it, elect presidents, get committees on committees, Boards of trustees in places and states get those people overturned. They serve a four-year term, two consecutive four-year terms if elected. There were also several that think that way, right, about abuse and things like that, that did not get elected to a second term for the executive committee. So, it's not not all hope is lost, right? But it is a long game. Everything about Baptist life, everything about church life, guys. Is a long game, right? It's. It, so sometimes people will ask me questions, you know, even just within our own church about, well, when's this gonna happen, or when are we doing this? It's it's a long it's long game. Like it may be years. That's fine. What we do is we show up and we preach the gospel. We study the Bible. We exhort one another. We worship the Lord. Change happens on the long haul, right? It happens over time. You just be patient. You know, endure. That's that's the message. And so. It's the same way with anything. It all, it all happens by appointing presidents. It all happens by... That's why I go. That's why I go. Well, there's, that's a whole other issue. Uh, you, you can, it's just... It takes a lot. You're right, it takes a lot. And if you want to do it in the short term, it takes a lot. So, in the, also in the convention, there was a, an attempt, many attempts to overturn resolution number 9 in 2019 do you see a problem with this well if resolutions are statements of opinion how can you overturn somebody's opinion 2 years ago Well, that doesn't make any sense you can't they're not binding they're just statements of opinion so if, is every completely different from last year's is every, is every, is every so like, yeah well say, yeah, like is entirely new from 2019 pretty much i mean Yeah, roughly, especially when it, when it, yeah, yes, when it comes to resolutions, yes, that's precisely one of the reasons why you can't overturn them is because that's an entirely different group of people. You can't, I can't say, Jackson, that's no longer your opinion. You know, it's, that's impossible. I can't do that. Uh, you know, it's your opinion, you know, so. Uh, it's the same kind of thing with us going into another convention. For that matter, why don't we go back into the 1800s and start repealing all the resolutions on slavery or the 1970s about abortion and all those kinds of things? Why don't we do that? Well, we can't. Someone tried to. Once everybody started saying, oh, we're going to repeal this one, let's repeal a whole bunch. We're going to be here all day, people. We can't do that, right? So they passed resolution number two, which basically says this, which does say, this is a quote, it rejects any theory or worldview that finds the ultimate identity of human beings in ethnicity or in any other group dynamic. Uh, and it rejects any theory or worldview that sees the primary problem of humanity as anything other than sin against God and the ultimate solution as anything other than redemption found only in Christ. So it unequivocally, it, it refutes CRT and many, uh, any other thing that could possibly come up in the future or whatever uh is that sufficient well no a lot of people really wanted it to say especially crt right they just really wanted critical race theory to put it be put in there for one reason or another my own personal opinion obviously critical race theory and what it purports is abominable but when it comes to people in the sbc actually supporting critical race theory i just don't see it and i'm going to talk about this in just a second but just the election ed Litton was elected president um now, is that, is that great that he's elected? I, I didn't vote for him initially, but uh, I voted for him over Mike Stone because I, I I just did not want to see what happened with Mike Stone in there. There's some things I also know that I don't want to get into that are, anyway, I don't want to do that. But Mike, uh, Ed, Ed Litton has... Um, He's just not as clear thinking, I think, as a lot of uh, as Al Muller would have been, I think, for our time, and as evident after we elected him, there was somebody that pointed out the doctrinal statement on his website that on the church website that he pastors that said God exists in three parts, three equal parts, which is problematic. That's modalism. That's a heresy, by the way, um, and it was changed like overnight. It was deleted from his website. Uh, so. Uh, so it's not awesome. Basically what happened was the vote was pretty much divided. Ed Litton and Mike Stone, in which case were the top two vote getters, they go into a runoff. Uh, Ed Litton won, beat Mike Stone in that runoff. And so what we need to do is just commit to praying for um, Ed Litton. And as he handles the SBC and and handles all orders of business and appoints his task force uh, over it. So I know there's bound to be some questions and I knew this was going to go a little bit long. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you know, every year he'll appoint new people in the committee on committees. He will appoint a new committee on the committees. There's a term. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not entirely sure exactly how the term limits and all that on committee on committees. They may be a one-year term. I, I could be wrong about that, but that might be the case. Um, and then they have a lot of influence over who gets on the executive committee. Uh, they do because they start – the committee on committees will start appointing trustees and state conventions and things like that. And so, been all and at, at seminaries and things. And so, pretty quickly, you get nominees into the executive committee that are people that reflect the president's ideals, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Jackson asked, "How fluid is the committee on committees? Does it change like all the time every year?" Jeff asked, "Was it part of that?" That was what Jeff asked. Sorry uh and jeff and jackson kind of represented the same question we'll just put them in together uh how fluid is the committee on committees and does it change pretty regularly and and that kind of thing um and so you heard my answer i think sorry i forgot the microphone any other questions i know that's a whirlwind on southern baptist polity go ahead jackson But this is just my perception, but it seemed that it was a, a little bit of a not just me perception, but that Al Moeller was also seeming to represent Reformed theology at the same time as being against all these crabby things. And that might have been why he didn't, why Ed Litton came out on top in the end. I don't think so. Okay. Now, yes, Al Moeller is Reformed. That's, that's true. But I don't, so on the floor of the convention, there was not that kind of division. It was so, normally there is that kind of division. It's, you can pretty much see, there's the Calvinists. there's the Arminians. I mean, it's pretty distinct um, on the floor. It was not the case this time. There were sort of, if I could use the phrase, strange bedfellows uh, on the floor. It was very, very, very weird. Um, And yes, it's true. I think one of the reasons why Al Mohler didn't get more votes than he got was because he is an entity head, He's a president of a of a seminary, and as such, he would be able to appoint committee on committees, who would then be able to appoint boards of trustees on those seminaries, or for those seminaries. What's that? No, uh, that wasn't any. There wasn't any indication that he was. And so, his somewhat oversight and reach into those, even from the, those many steps, I think scared some people off. Plus, Ed Litton and Al Mohler kind of divided their vote. Basically, the people that voted for Al Mohler then switched their vote to vote for Ed Litton on the second round. So it was, they were pretty much, for many people, they were the same person. There were probably maybe some that leaned less reformed that went Ed Litton, who's still kind of on the reformed end. And then um, the rest of the people voted for Al Mohler. And so then that divided that vote, right? If, it, if Ed Litton hadn't been in there, Al, Al Mohler would have been president. SBC, no question. Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead, Timothy. Hold on. And then we'll close. Here you go. The white? Go ahead. There it goes. My supervisor just texted me, and they're home, and they think that her blood pressure's up because of so much internal bleeding. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, good deal. Thank you for okay in the newspaper articles conservative uh article conservative has a negative connotation should it uh david maxwell um n- newspaper articles in regards to the spc david yes in- yes uh, maybe Dave? uh are you talking about the conservative Baptist network? I'm not hearing him. So Michael, I bet it has to do with the conservative Baptist network and then like J.D. Greer being called a moderate by oh. the, by the national press. They yeah. call the yeah. conservative Baptist network, the conservatives and J.D. Greer and others okay. moderates. Okay. In the, in the um, national media. So people are using uh, terms that are that are the same term, but they're not necessarily this have the same meaning. Inside the SBC, there is uh, Conservative Baptist Network, which is the Stop CRT group. Okay, um, and so that was voting for Mike Stone. Uh, largely, they see CRT as a big problem. There's a left, leftward drift inside the SBC, and it's a huge issue that we got to stop. And like I said, I just don't see it. I really don't. I hear from these seminary presidents. I'm listening to them, and I, I just, it's just not there. And, um, but they, get, they, they call themselves the Conservative Baptist Network. Another thing that needs to be noted about the Conservative Baptist Network is it has ties back to Paige Patterson, which was a huge issue for a lot of people. Uh, Paige Patterson said some awful, awful things and kind of desert, was, was repudiated by his own board. And which is a board of trustees that he has a lot of sway over, and they they uh, fired him eventually because of some things that he had said, some counsel that he had given, which was awful. And um, and so for that reason, there was a, that kind of gets labeled conservative, and then anybody else gets labeled moderate. There is another fight going on inside the SPC. Not all the problems are over, by the way. There is another big fight, and a, I say fight, but question uh, argument going on about. What is the relationship? What is the role of women in the pulpit? And um, I think probably the moderate group that is going to be labeled moderate are people that affirm the Baptist faith and message but would would not be fine employing, let's say, a a female pastor, like a a head pastor that would preach on Sunday, things like that, but would be fine having one come and speak broadly to the congregation. So that's still an argument going on Inside the SBC right now, and that's part of the reason why, SPC, why JD Greer is labeled a moderate, would be because he will just say squishy on some of those things. Best way I can put it. More Kristen, Go ahead. Uh, so the letters that were leaked with Russell regarding Russell Moore yeah. did one of them was like sent to JD Greer, and I read that one, and it's like, as you remember, we you and I both were in this situation, had this conversation. Was anything that Russell Moore? said in his leaked letters, affirmed by J.D. Greer or the other people? Yeah, at the convention, he was, He, I mean, I, if I remember right, it, I think it was him who, who said, who made mention of, maybe it was at the executive committee meeting, that may have been where it was, where he made mention of some of those things were true where he could affirm them or something like that. I seem to remember that, and I can't remember where that was, but yes. Yeah, yeah, so um, yeah. So the, the letters, you can go online and read them. They looked very leaky. They looked very, very intentionally leaked kind of, kind of letters written to be intentionally leaked, but uh, never, neither here nor there. I think they were important to help us kind of think through some of these issues. By the way, I'll just have you know, some of the things that I read in the Russell Moore letters, I've personally experienced those things. Like I've been in closed doors where some of those things have been said. some things like that have been set. Um, things that are, what I would just say, were overtly racist things, and that you know is just there's, there's it's part of an um, older culture I think to some degree, and uh, it it there's no room for it, you know, and and so when he when I read those letters, I remember reading them and, and thinking, I believe every word of that, by the way, because I've seen that I've heard that. Those exact words nearly, I've heard those things. So um, what, was, what he neglected to say is one of the people that he mentioned was Paige Patterson in, that, in, that, in those emails that was, said some pretty terrible things. So um, read them, you know, just be warned before you do. I know Tom's gonna be yelling at me if I don't get out of here. Yeah, yeah, one more question. And let's close. Oh no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the question was, how do I feel about women coming and speaking? Uh, the exhortation that Paul gives in the New Testament is not. So all of this is, is from the Bible. Like I would, i would try to keep everything that we do, polity wise or anything in this church, as close to the Scriptures as I possibly can. But um, and, and and don't want to just you know go out there with my own opinion. And so this is not my own opinion. Um, Paul, his exhortation is not. That, that women should not hold the office of elder. His, his exhortation, his command in Scripture is not that women should not hold the office of elder. His exhortation is that, he, that they are not to... Um, ah, good grief, <laughs> the word just escaped me. Uh, Not to uh, exercise authority over men. The authority that he's talking about there, very clearly from the context is the authority that comes from the word itself. So it's not a woman getting up and praying in front of people. It's not a woman getting up and reading the scriptures. It's not a woman getting up and giving her testimony. It is specifically taking the word of God, explaining its meaning, and then commanding you as a body to do something. That is reserved, Paul says, for certain men in the congregation. Not, mind you, it does rule out women. It also he also rules out a whole host of men in the process too, so we're talking a slim portion of the congregation is charged with taking the word, explaining it, and commanding the body on behalf of the Lord through His word. So that is the Scriptures. You know that's what they command. So the problem that I have in regards to things like let's say J.D. Greer. instance and their stance on that is they would say we're not going to put women in the pastorate we're not going to allow them to be pastors but beth moore let's say will come and she'll preach to our congregation on a sunday morning that's not what paul commands there's a fine line between preaching and teaching i get it and um we can talk about that let's that's a longer conversation okay Let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for questions and things that we can talk about. And, and, and I, I pray that all of this just exhorts us to think deeply, to care a lot and to remember what's at stake. We know you can do anything you want. You don't need the IMB. You don't need the SBC. You don't need me. You don't need any of us in this room. Uh, you can accomplish your purposes however you want to. We know that for sure. We pray though for Ed Litton. We pray for the Southern Baptist Convention. We pray for each and every pastor who's in the pulpit. We pray that the gospel would be preached, that your word would be explained to your people, that people would be encouraged and challenged and admonished and all of the all everything in between in services around the entire group of Southern Baptist churches. And we pray that all of that would be for your glory, that that missionaries would be raised up in this very congregation. I pray that you would raise up missionaries whose desire would be to go abroad, to preach the gospel, to share it with others, to see church plant, churches planted, to see the gospel flourish in uh, countries all around the world where Christ has yet to be named. And we pray that you would do that within this very congregation. Is it too much to ask for years to come from now, for you to raise up a host of people, young people from our colleges, from married couple, whomever it would be, to raise them up and send them from our congregation with the desire to reach the nations. That's not too much. We know that you can do that, and we pray that you would. We pray that through this body, churches would be planted, that we would see uh, churches in our own county failing and and closing their doors, and and that we would see pastors trained up in this very congregation, given the pulpit to preach and to to fumble through sometimes and to make mistakes and all those kinds of things, but to be trained up to be put in those churches, to revive them with the preaching of the gospel. We pray that you would do that in and through this congregation. That's not too much for you to ask. We know that you can do that, and we pray that you would. And we pray for Ed Litton and the Southern Baptist Convention as as all of these things come to a head and as people discuss and talk, we pray that the overwhelming stories and the the negative publications, the things that mar the name of Christ, would be silenced in the presses because... There's just no room in the convention for it to breathe. We pray that you would smother it altogether. We know that you can do that as well. And if we cannot do that, if we fail to come together in love and charity, to direct these funds and to do what is right, we pray that you would close our doors. The doors of the convention would just disappear altogether. We pray that you would do that all for your glory and not for our own in Jesus' name. Amen.